Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 73 dissecting a diaphragm call with Mitchell Johnston and I am your host who is coming to you from my hunting camp because we are 43 days 21 hours 2 minutes and 51 seconds until turkey season is over in Alabama. Our season started three days ago and it's been a typical early turkey season. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, I want to thank Travis Heatherly for leaving a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. And Travis says, five stars, great podcast. I really enjoy the podcast. I travel a lot for work, and this is perfect to listen to while on the go. Gets me fired up for opening day. Travis, thank you very much for taking time to go on iTunes and leave a review for the show As I've mentioned to you guys several times before, the reviews are extremely helpful for new listeners to be able to find the show and decide whether or not they want to listen to it. So, I appreciate all of you guys for taking time to go onto iTunes and leave your five-star rating and reviews. So, as I mentioned, I am three solid hunting days into Alabama's spring season. And there's already been shots fired. So the past three days, I hunted with Jim Lebin and Corey New from the Turkeyologists. And you guys remember Corey from a show that I had about six months or so ago regarding filming your turkey hunts. And the three of us had an unbelievable hunt yesterday morning that included several firsts for me. And I really learned a great deal from this hunt. Now, I'll be sharing everything that I learned from the hunt, as well as the audio from the hunt, on a special closed Facebook group. In fact, I'll be sharing the audio from all of my hunts throughout Alabama's 46-day turkey season and my hunt out of state this year along with special exclusive educational content that will only be found in this Facebook group. And members of the Facebook group will be part of an online community of like-minded turkey hunters of all experience levels. So you beginner turkey hunters can benefit from being a part of the group 
from interacting with more experienced hunters, as well as learning from well-known pro turkey hunters, very similar to the ones that come on this show, and from going along on each and every single turkey hunt that I go on. Now, you intermediate and experienced turkey hunters will benefit from the interaction that you can have with the other hunters that are members of this group, as well as the exclusive content from the pro hunters, and you probably will get a laugh or two out of riding along with me on my turkey hunts this season. Now, on these hunts, you'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly of my hunting season, along with narration so you'll know exactly what is working and not working for me in the woods. If you're interested in joining this closed group, then you need to know that there is a one-time fee to join. And I can hear you now going, oh man, a fee to join? Listen, for this group to be everything I want it to be, then this is going to take time, a lot of time. And we all know that time is money. So how much money? Well, membership to this group costs a one-time fee of $79. Your $79 membership will get you access to the group forever. But new content will be available only until 5-31-2016. Now this new closed Facebook group is called Spurred. And if you want to get Spurred, here's what you'll get for your one-time membership fee of $79. You're going to get exclusive access to all of the audio from all of my turkey hunts from this season. That's normally between 40 to 50 hunts per season. You're going to get access to special content with several turkey hunting pros who will dive into some advanced turkey hunting strategies and tactics, as well as answer any questions that you guys may have. You're also going to get the opportunity to be part of the Spurred community, to learn and interact, or even make friends to swap hunts with other Spurred members. And you're going to get the ability to ask questions about turkeys and turkey hunting to those fellow members and yours truly as well. And you're going to get all of this for only $79. Now $79 is about what one quality turkey decoy would cost you. And the experience you'll gain from being in this group is something that will last you a lifetime, a lot longer than one turkey decoy. And the information that you're going to get from this group is going to help you kill a lot more turkeys than one decoy would help you kill. So, I'd like to invite each of you guys listening to the show to join the group and get spurred. All you have to do is text the word SPURRED to the number 44222 to get more information. That's S-P-U-R-R-E-D to the number 44222. Okay. So let's get into today's show. You know, diaphragm calls are something that not all turkey hunters use. A lot of people can't use them because they make them gag or they just can't keep them in their mouth and blow air across them. And some people just don't take the time to really learn how to use a diaphragm call properly. And because they don't feel like they sound good using it, they don't use them. They'll use pot and peg calls or box calls, maybe a wing bone, any other kind of turkey call except a diaphragm. Well, a diaphragm call is extremely useful. As you know, they're the only 
call that we use that allows us the opportunity to have both hands free. Maybe it's free to hold a shotgun. Maybe it's free to hold another turkey call and imitate two turkeys that are calling to that longbeard in the woods. So knowing about diaphragm calls and practicing with diaphragm calls is something that will really help you guys to become better turkey hunters. So today I have on the show Mitchell Johnston with Dead End Game Calls. And Mitchell's going to share info on how diaphragm calls are made, what the differences are in the materials in a call, and the differences in the cuts in the calls. This is all information that we need in order to be able to buy the right call for us. Not every diaphragm call is easy to use, and not every hunter can use every diaphragm call. So, without further ado, I want to get into the interview because I'm excited to share all of this great info with you guys. So, here's the interview with Mitchell, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to have on the line with me, Mitchell Johnston, with Dead End Game Calls. I actually met Mitchell at the NWTF show this year, face-to-face, but it was after a phone call conversation I had with him to get him well, I guess kind of to trick him into donating a call for the turkey call giveaway that we did in Nashville. And Mitchell readily agreed to do the call giveaway, and I told him I'd love to have him on the show to talk to us about diaphragm calls and what goes into those little things that we stick in our mouth and slobber all over and drop on the ground and abuse for about 45 days out of the year and Mitchell said he'd be interested in doing that so I snagged him before season started and got him on the call with me today Mitchell how are you and where are you oh I'm great how about you bud I'm doing well good doing really well well we are actually in our shop right now up in Perlier North Carolina a little hometown in northwestern region North Carolina and up in the mountain country and we are geared up and getting ready for turkey season and actually in the middle of packaging products to send out to some of our customers. Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got into turkey hunting. I'm born and raised here in North Carolina, and we first got into turkey hunting back when I was 16 years old. And when I was, I'm 34 years old now and still young, I guess you would consider that young, at least I do. And Yep. We, I do too. <laughs> we got a we got into turkey hunting when I was sixteen. A couple of friends of mine we moved up here to the into the mountain region out of the foothills of North Carolina and met a young man here and got to be friends with him and he introduced me into turkey hunting and it's been all I guess downhill from there. We we just absolutely fell in love with the sport, fell in love with turkey calling contest and and that's really I guess where I. I got to be a little more known within the hunting industry. We were blessed in 2010. We won the National Turkey Calling Championship. In 2009, we won the World Friction Championship. My team partner and I, we've won three other national team championships since then, including the last two years. Well, in the calling competition in Nashville, your calls did very well, and your guys running the calls did very well also. And then I was glad to hear on Sunday that y'all won the team championship. That was pretty exciting. It was. It was an exciting time for us. We had a young man 
by the name of Matthew Presley. He was the crowned the junior national champion, and then our intermediate they finished in second place. And he actually just left the world championships this past weekend. And our intermediate caller, he actually won the world championships this weekend. So it's been a great year so far. We had two gentlemen in the finals on Saturday. And like you said, my team partner and I, we won the team national championships. God is definitely blessing us, that's for sure. No doubt. And I think that just goes to speak to the quality of the calls that you make. Yes, there's a lot that goes into it with the caller himself or herself. But you've got to have a quality call as much as you do a quality person running that call. So I think your championships that you guys are winning over there really speak volumes to the quality of the calls that you make. So I'm glad to get you on here and let you share some of your knowledge with us today. I appreciate the opportunity. Heck, yeah. Listen, over the past several months, I've been doing something that I call rapid-fire Q&A. And... I want to see if you're willing to play along with me. What I'm doing is I've got a list of 30 questions to ask you, and I'm going to start a stopwatch as soon as I start the first question. And we'll time you as we go through these questions and just see how fast you can go through them and see if you can beat some of these guys that you know, like Eddie Salter, Brenda Valentine, some of the NWTF people like Pete Muller, Rob Keck, well, former NWTF with Rob. And the questions are just about, they're just kind of general questions about turkey hunting and turkeys and that kind of stuff. No no trivia stuff, no real biological stuff. We're getting into kind of a what have you done, what do you prefer type of thing. Okay, let's go for it. All right. I like that attitude. Let me pull the stopwatch up here. And I will start the stopwatch as soon as I start the first question. So, how many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Five. How many turkeys did you kill last year? One. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? Diaphragm. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water? Repeat the question. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water? Cola. Number of grand slams? Two. Make of your shotgun? Browning. Make of your favorite shotgun turkey shell? Winchester. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No. Have you ever killed a jake? Yes. All right. Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old bird or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old bird? Four-year-old bird. Favorite camo pattern? Mossy oak. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? For dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? More. 30 mile per hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season. Are you hunting or sleeping in? Hunting. State you killed your first turkey in? North Carolina. The state you killed your last turkey in? Nebraska. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun, not shoot. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriams? Easterns. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Either one. <laughs> Two and three quarter inch, three inch, or three and a half inch shells? Three inch. Four, five, six, or blended shells or shot? Blended. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Either one. Pump or automatic? Pump. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Shotgun scope. 
Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Rubber boots. You roost a bird this afternoon, and it's pouring rain at daylight in the morning. Are you hunting? Yes. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Nebraska. Holy cow, man. How about two minutes, 35.95 seconds? You are just over, or just under, I should say, two and a half seconds slower than the fastest time by <laughs> Rob Keck. Well, if I wouldn't have had to repeat the question, I'd have got him. You would have gotten him. <laughs> Man, you you tore that up. I do have to go back to the one bird comment that I killed last year. Ironically right. enough, I try to harvest one turkey a year, and that is me personally shooting, pulling the trigger. Uh, the rest of the time, I spend my time taking people that has never killed a turkey or friends that have killed turkeys that just want me to go with them, and I spend most of my time behind a video camera, more so yeah. than I do behind a gun. Yeah. For me, calling that bird in, I've killed plenty of turkeys throughout my career, and calling that bird in for someone else and seeing that smile on their face when they harvest that turkey, it means more to me than it does if I pull the trigger myself. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, that's pretty common. I hear that a lot from the guys that have been, well, from guys that are in the industry and have been turkey hunting for a long time and that's really what it's about. It's about sharing the sport with others and getting them out there and letting them enjoy what we enjoy about it. And I told a guy Saturday, we had a little meeting over at one of the hunting clubs that I'm in, and four out of the five serious turkey hunters that are in this club were sitting around together. And we got to talking about how we were going to limit ourselves to the number of birds that we were going to shoot on the property. So Alabama has a statewide limit of five birds, but we decided that we were going to limit ourselves to three birds on this particular piece of property per membership, and that our guests, if they killed a bird, it was going to count against our three birds. And so I said, you know, that's perfectly fine with me. I don't have an issue with that. And actually, when I'm hunting with someone and they kill a bird, I count that as one of my birds. That's right. That bird doesn't go on my tag, mm -hmm. but I count that as a bird that's killed. I was there in the hunt, yep, and I got as much enjoyment out of it as the person that squeezed the trigger. So why would I not count that turkey? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's one of those deals that you know, I, I get to see anywhere from twenty to forty turkeys killed a year, usually on on average. And like I said, out of those twenty to forty, I, I'll shoot one of those, and. I just, I don't know, especially when it's a kid, you know, I've got, I've been very blessed. I've got three children and the two oldest girls that I have, they've, they've both killed turkeys. My son, he's not old enough to hunt yet, but you know, I've had them in the woods since they've been four years old shooting turkeys and yeah, it's just incredible. I know my dad, my dad is not even a turkey hunter. He's not a big hunter at all. Matter of fact, he took me squirrel hunting and deer hunting a few times when I was a kid and introduced me to the sport and it's something that, you know, he, he doesn't enjoy, as, of course, as much as I do. But my dad went with me last year when I took my middle child, little girl, turkey hunting. And he was able to help her with the gun on youth day. And she squeezed off a shot. And, and he fell in love with just the aspect of taking my daughters, with going with yeah. me to take my daughters turkey hunting. Uh, and to this day, he still has yet to ever pull a trigger on a turkey. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. There's no doubt something special about it. That's why we all do it, isn't it? That's a fact, buddy. It's addictive. It's uh, 
to see a turkey come out in the field or walk through the hardwood bottom and and hear him gobbling and spitting and drumming and the interaction running a call and and having him react to that call and especially in, in my situation where it's a call that I've I've made and to have him to come into that call it's just it's a special moment and you know Ben Rogers Lee he's famous for saying if I could breathe life back into him I'd do it all over again tomorrow. Absolutely. And, and, and that's how we are as turkey hunters. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, before we get into the real meat of today's interview, I stumbled across something on, I believe it was on Facebook a couple of days ago, and I reposted it on my Facebook page, but I want to talk to you a little bit about it. I saw this post on Facebook, and it was actually a video of you, I guess maybe the day after the NWTF convention that was in Nashville. And you had something happen on the way home from Nashville, from the convention, that I think is just a shame. And I'd like for you to share with everybody that's listening what happened out there. And maybe there's somebody that knows something or maybe can help out with this. Tell us a story of what happened. And Well, we were on our way home from the Nashville convention, like you said, about 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the morning. On Monday morning, actually, being that it was in the a.m., and we stopped off in Sevierville across the interstate from the Bass Pro Shops there in Sevierville. If you're relatively yeah. familiar with that area, you know about the Bass Pro Shop that's there. We got us a motel room, went in. It was The roads was really icy, so we decided it would be safer to stay in, and so we got us a motel room. We come back out the next morning to find that uh, my wife's car, which we take two vehicles, my truck, which has a camper shell on it, which we keep our calls and stuff and show displays and stuff in. Then my wife's car has some stuff in it as well, or her expedition. We come out to find her expedition's window had been busted out. And inside of that expedition was our mine and Jeff Sipe and Jonathan Miller, which is two of our callers that calls with us, was all of our turkey call supplies. It was our calls that we used in competition, our hunting calls, calls that, that I had a bag. I had one of the old Tom treasure chests, and that thing was full. It was a treasure chest uh, of mm. turkey calls. It was calls that I've used in Champion of Champions. It had everything from owl hooters to trumpet calls to slate calls to our glass calls. I mean, it's just a plethora of turkey calls in that bag, and plus a bunch of camera equipment. And whoever got in our vehicle, of course, stole all that stuff. And also there were some hard drives, external hard drives that I had uh, on a laptop. I had all my graphic design for my call company in those hard drives. And I had some video that we've collected over the years of turkey hunts and deer hunts that we've videoed. And so it's stuff that, you know, it's hard to get that kind of stuff back. I was fortunate enough that the video stuff, I found all the hunts but one. I had all that backed up at home, but... That's good. Um, yeah, that was that was a blessing. Once I got back home, was able to find most of that, but that one video. But you know, it it was a horrible situation. It, it's not a good situation. But you know, with anything, when somebody tries to knock you down like that, or the devil tries to get after you like that, the best thing we can do is pray for the person that done that. Yeah. And so we're gonna we've taken the time, we've prayed for them, and you know, I if, if they would ask us, of course, we'd give them the old saying, the shirt off of our back, but. Uh, it's one of those bad bad situations, bad deals, but, you know, you just got to pick up and, and go on from there. Yeah. Well, what kind of calls were in that box that are collectible that maybe some of the listeners can keep an eye out for 
that you know maybe are in Tennessee or North Carolina or Kentucky or Alabama or Georgia that they may see a call like that pop up on eBay or Craigslist or something like that. Yeah, there there's a bunch of uh, calls. Of course, it's got our betting game calls logos in them or on the back of the call. They're pot calls. And then we had some trumpet calls. One of the trumpet calls had a, a green marble type insert on the top mm-hmm. of it. And it was, I think it was made out of Coca-Cola, so that was very distinguishable. So if you happen to see that call, that would be a, a call that you could see. And we had some what they call kiki disc in there, and one of them was all slate. And, you know, that there's not yeah. but four or five of those that's ever been made, yeah. according to what I've been told. So that the key disc, it's a real thin, you know, quarter inch or a little thicker key disc, and it's, it's literally all slate. So that would be something you could pick up on for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you guys listening to the show will keep your eyes and ears open. And if you do see something like that, give Mitchell a call and and I'll let Mitchell give his contact info or shoot him an email and let him know where you stumbled across it. And maybe they can track down who it was that did this. And, you know, I don't know Mitchell all that well, but what I do know about Mitchell is he's not going to be seeking any retribution on whoever it was. He just wants to get back what was taken from him just like any of us would so you know that absolutely anything we can do to help them out if they want to return those items no questions asked we're we're happy with that yeah well good deal man i hate that happened but just like you and i were talking about before the recording started it could have been a lot worse you know so i hate to downplay it because none of us would ever want that to happen to us but insurance takes care of the vehicle and the rest of it you just going to have to work hard and make new memories and collect some new calls and shoot more turkeys. It gives me a good reason to get some more calls, right? <laughs> Just what a call maker needs, more calls. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we don't have yeah. but about 500 of them laying around here. So. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Well, hey, I wanted to get you on to really kind of just dissect a diaphragm call for us today and talk about a bunch of the different factors and variables that go into a diaphragm call these things when i take one out of the package and i look at it they're not real pretty they're really kind of utilitarian and they get over the course of the season with drinking sodas or maybe some of the people out there having a little dip of skull or copenhagen or something and having a call in their mouth these things get pretty well abused and used and sitting out in the sun on the dashboard and all that kind of stuff they can really take a beating but can you kind of break down a diaphragm call for us and tell us what goes into making one and how are they made well we make ours on a call press Um, we've got special presses that we use that can stretch the latex the the rubber reeds in there the latex reeds they're stretched to a particular tension and on our calls, we can actually stretch those calls to a thousandth of an inch in consistency wow. on our side tension. So what, what we do is we take a two, three, four, whatever amount of reeds, amount of pieces of latex, we put that in our machine. We've got a, an aluminum frame, and on that aluminum frame, it's got some adhesive on it. And we put that frame in our machine. We take that latex, we stack it up against each other. And uh, when we stack that latex, we put it into that frame, we clamp the frame down, put our side tension on it, clamp it down on the side tension. When we clamp it down on the side tension, 
we put back tension in it, and then we take it off of that frame. Well, this leaves excess latex around that frame. So we actually have to take that excess latex and cut it off. Mm-hmm. And then we take, after we've got it in the frame, we've got our stretch on it, we put a piece of tape on it. And that's the, the tape that you put in your mouth that's around that frame. You don't actually see the aluminum frame so much. And yeah. we put that piece of tape on there, and we, we've got a die-cut machine that die-cuts it the same shape every time. And we, we stamp it out, and then we put a cut in that call, whether it be a split V or a Batwing 3 or a shipwreck or what we call shipwreck or combo cut or a ghost cut or, or whatever kind of your favorite cut is that you want to put in that call. We take a pair of scissors and actually hand cut every one of those calls. Yeah, and so you're making a cut on those calls after it's assembled. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Well, what is it when you make that call that determines the sound of that diaphragm call? I'm, I know there's, after what you told me goes into making one, what do those materials affect the sound of the call? It, it actually changes the whole style of the call and the whole sound of the call completely, the different materials you use. One of the biggest things is consistency and thickness of the materials. Some of the latex that we use is three thousandths, four thousandths thickness, or it could be thirty-five or, or twenty-five or two thousandths thickness, whatever the case might be. But that consistency and the thickness of that latex can change the call. So, what we do to ensure that we're giving the customer the best product available is we actually mock every piece of latex that goes into our calls, so we know we're giving you the same call every time. And yeah. that thickness of the material can cause that call to have more body or less body in the, the sound that comes out of it. Okay. Now, I know the cut varies as well or makes that, yes. that call sound different as well. So you can take two calls made exactly the same, give them different cuts, and you're going to get different sounds out of that. Absolutely. We, we basically sell uh, five different mouth calls varieties. Of those five... There's four different cuts that we put in those calls. One's a split V. That's one of your first cuts that ever came into a diaphragm call is a split V. And basically it's a V cut into the latex. And all of our calls and all of our cuts that we make most of the time, well, all of ours actually, is based off of that V cut. Yeah. When we take a V cut, if we want to make a shipwreck or what we call shipwreck or a combo cut, we actually take and pull out the right side material off that V cut and cut it out as well. So you'll get a half moon with a slash to it, which would be the combo cut or shipwreck cut. Off of that combo cut, we can also make a batwing, which is actually my favorite style of call. If I had to take one call to the woods, it would be my batwing three. That's what I've won most of my major championships with, or at least it was involved with that. And what we do with it is we take both sides of the V out. So we take and put two half moons into it. Mm-hmm. So each cut makes a different sound. So the shipwreck call is going to have a little more rasp to it than the batwing call. The batwing call, I can get a clearer front end on my Yelp than I can with the shipwreck call. And then, of course, the split V is a lot of body. It's a lot of rasp. Right. And then with a the ghost cut, I get a real clear call. I don't hardly have any rasp in my Yelp when I use a ghost cut style call. Okay. All right. So call like that, you're going to use to imitate a younger hen or even do some kikiing on yes and that's that's basically the biggest thing a a ghost cut is designed for is to kiki 
or to do a kiki run, do the whistles, the false, the false sound. And, and a kiki run is something, you know, I don't overlook that call in the spring as well because I've had a lot of weary toms that a lot of people don't try a kiki run on that they'll fire up and, and bring a, a long beard in the spring, especially a, a hard-pressured bird. Yeah, okay. I want to talk a little bit about the materials that go into these things, mainly the different types of rubber being latex and prophylactic going in there. What are the main differences between those types of rubber that are commonly used to make a call? Well, basically, you've got two common rubbers. You've got a, a latex material, and you've got a prophylactic latex material. And the prophylactic is going to give you a higher sound, a higher pitch, or a higher tone okay. in that call. From the call builder standpoint, I can tell you that prophylactic is a whole lot harder to work with than, than latex. And as a matter of fact, I don't run any prof in any of our calls. Okay. So All right. so you got the prophylactic and then you got the regular latex. What is it in the prophylactic that makes it harder to work with on your end? It, it's slicker, so it yeah. don't stay in our frames very well. There's tricks that you do to make it stay in that frame, or at least that I found that works to, so that the call doesn't slip on you. And that's one of the big things, one of the reasons we don't use it as much. As a matter of fact, none of our product line has prophylactic in it. We may come out with some calls in the future that does, but um, as of right now, we run straight latex. But it's just harder to stack the rubber sheets together before we mm. put it into the frame. Okay. Are one of the two easier to work, like for a beginner caller? I prefer the straight latex all the way around, even from yeah. the beginner caller or advanced caller. Um, all of my calls that I run on stage, none of them pretty much have prophylactic in them. I pretty much run straight latex all the way through. Yeah. And you're, I mean, the calls you're running on stage are pretty much calls that you're producing oh, it is, for sale anyway. It is so. exactly the calls that I produce for sale. That's actually where we came up with our product line was as we build those calls that we put in a pack exactly like I run them on stage. We have callers that literally take them out of a pack and go to a stage and call with them. Okay. The quality of our mouth calls is just that high. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned a few minutes ago a couple of the cuts that are out there and the differences in those cuts. Can you run through all of them for us? Sure. You've got your split V. We've got a bat wing style cut. We've got a combo or a shipwreck style cut, and we've basically got a ghost cut. There's some variances thereof that you really don't have a name for them. And yeah. then you got a, a cutter style cut, which is a notch right out of the side of the, the latex close to the frame. Okay. And when I'm watching you guys up there on stage, and y'all are running through the calls that the judges give you to make in a calling competition, I'm seeing pretty much every caller up there when they're go from one call to another call to another call, they're taking that diaphragm call out of their mouth and putting another one in there, mm-hmm. which tells me that for that level of calling, for competitive level of calling, you're not going to take generally take the same call and run through all of those because some of those calls are going to sound better for, well, I guess I should phrase it this way, some of those diaphragm calls are going to sound better for certain turkey calls and other diaphragm calls are. So what are the main differences in the sound in these cuts, and what would you say just as an all-around general, all-purpose, I want to do everything that I need to do to kill a turkey in the springtime cut is? 
Well, you've got you've got a couple of different ones that you could use on the latter of the question, but if you look at the cuts that we're using on stage or the calls that we're using on stage, like you said, we change out our calls. So one cut might do a fly-down cackle better than another. So, for instance, if I'm doing a fly-down cackle, a lot of times I'm either running a batwing-style cut or a shipwreck-style cut. All my okay. cutting on stage this year I done on a split V-style cut. And then when I had the kiki or kiki run, I done on a ghost cut style. Um, so each call does something better. And that's something that people as a hunters, uh, they have to play around and figure out what works best for them. Such as our, our Batwing 2, our Roadkill Batwing 2, is a call that I've designed just for clucking and purring. It's for the soft stuff. It's not a it's a two-read style call with a Batwing style cut in the call. And it is designed specifically just to cluck a pearl. And it's something that a lot of other callers actually use on stage is our Batwing 2 style call. And as a hunter, if I was going to take one call to the woods, for me it would be our dead-end game calls Roadkill Batwing 3. It's a call that I can do anything I need to do on. I can cluck the pearl on it. I can cut on it. I can sided yelp on it. I can even key on it. Most people can't, but I can't by running my air down the right side of the cut on the diaphragm call. So if I had to pick one to go to the woods with, it would be that call. Okay. Like I said, most of us hunters are not going to swap that call out once we're working a bird. Now, I know I swap out diaphragm calls when I'm running a gun and trying to get a bird to gobble because he may like a call with one cut over a call with another cut or a two read over a three read or whatever it is that he's looking for that day. And if I get him to respond with that call, well, he's going to get that call all the way mm-hmm. until he walks up and gets a, a face full of shot if I'm lucky enough for that to happen. So, you know, swapping those calls out while we're actually working a bird is probably not something 95% of us are going to do out there in the in the woods. So, Knowing what a good all-around call is, is great information for us. What is the real difference in the number of reads that goes into a call? Volume. Okay. If I've got a two-read call, I know I'm not going to have the volume that I'm going to be able to produce in a three-read call. Okay. And then with a, when you get into the four-read calls, I personally have a hard time blowing a four-read style call. The most I ever use is a three-read, and I can do anything I need to do, and I can get as soft as I need to get, but I can get as loud as I need to get on that call. All right, so the number of reads is not affecting the rasp at all. The rasp is determined by the, the cut. cut. Okay. What is, what's the real purpose of these half-reads that we see? Well, the purpose of, of a half-read is just to put you a little bit more backbone into the call. So if I've got a two-read style call, I don't, I can't produce as much, can't push as much air into it. But if I add that little bit of half-read in there, it gives more substance or more body to that call. So I can push a little bit more volume out of it. Okay, that's good info. That's the main thing for me when I go and I look at calls is, well, the, I guess I should say the second thing that I look at because I have a, a very high arch or a high roof on my mouth. So one of the things I look at is the size of the frame. But, you know, I'm looking at the second thing that I look at is that cut on there, and that's really what probably what we should be paying more attention to. You know, I don't – I'm kind of like you. I can't work a, a four-read call. I have never been able to, and 
probably am not going to practice enough to actually be able to do that because as of today, I don't have the desire to get up on stage and be a competitive caller like you do, but I'm not a knock at all against it. I enjoy it. So the four read calls are out. Yeah, completely. for me, they I'm are not as even well. look at one. Yeah, and it takes a lot more air to push a four read. Mm-hmm. Especially where I live in the mountains of North Carolina, by the time you chase a bird all the way up a mountain, you get to the top of that mountain, and uh, he's liking a mouth call that you're blowing. Sometimes it will wind, and you don't have – you don't have the wind to push a lot of air through that call anymore. Yeah. Are most of your real clear sounding calls, are most of those two reads? No, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, a lot of it goes back to that cut that's in the call. For me, okay. that ghost, uh, our ghost cut has produces a real clear yelp. Now, I can get have a clear front end on a yelp with our batwing calls as well, but what I'm doing is I'm manipulating my tongue and my mouth so that I'm cutting the airflow off on the from the center of that call all the way over to the left of that call if it was positioned in my palate of my mouth and I'm running all my air down the right side of that call and and sort of towards the back of the call and that's where I get my clear front end so by manipulating my tongue placement I can make about any call that we've got sound clear but it's all about practicing and muscle memory yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I, I know that may have sounded like a little bit of a trick question after you and I just got through talking about what the number of reads in a call determines, but it seems like every two-read call I've ever made has lacked that rasp. But I'm sorry, did I say every two-read call I've yeah. ever made? Every two-read call I've ever bought, I've <laughs> never made a call. So I don't have to worry about that. But it seems like every two-read call I ever bought lacks that rasp. But I guess in a two-read call, can you put any of the cuts in that two-read call that you would put in a three-read? Or You can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, because okay. the cut actually just goes into your top read normally. Right. So no matter if it's a double read or a triple read, you can still put those those same cuts in there. So as far as a beginner is concerned, would you recommend maybe a two-read call to start with just to maybe control that airflow a little bit more so you don't have to worry about pushing so much air across it? And... Well, I actually, when when someone asks me, well, that's a frequently asked question for us, and I actually recommend our Batwing 3 or our shipwreck call. And okay. the reason I recommend those two calls is because air control is easier to deal with over a two-read style call. A two-read okay. style call, it can be finicky on your air control, so you got to really manipulate that, whereas... Most people, when they first start blowing a mouth call, they try to blow real hard on that call. Mm-hmm. And because of that, to get a truer sound, they have a tendency to overblow the two-read call. So I recommend our Shipwreck or our Batwing 3, which are both three-read style calls, that if they try to overblow it, they're still going to get a turkey sound out of it. Okay. For someone who has a hard time using a diaphragm call, and I know there's, I know a lot of guys like this they put that call in their mouth and they have a very shallow gag reflex and they just can't work that call they just whether it's that reason or just the the fact of trying to blow across that thing while it's in their mouth they just have a hard time using a diaphragm call are there any tips that you can give somebody that's like that to help make using a diaphragm call a little bit easier or better? Well, when it comes to the gag reflex, there's not a lot that we can do about that. 
And that's yep. just the way the good Lord made them. That's and right. go buy a good slate call would be my best recommendation yeah. or a glass call or whatever, good friction call. But you can try to take and push that call forward as far as you can in your mouth to hinder that gag reflex a little bit. So yeah. that definitely would be a recommendation, but if it goes any further than that, there's not a lot that we can do to overcome that situation. Okay. What is the real reason? Why do we get a better sound out of a diaphragm call by pushing it further back into our mouth than being shallow in our mouth? Well, it's not really that you're going to get a better sound out of it. It's just the way they're made, the way the, the cut is made and the way your roof of your mouth made, your palate of your mouth. It's just the way the design of the call it just sets in a particular spot. Okay. So I wouldn't say that you get a better sound by pushing it forward or having it back further in your palate of your mouth. It's just just is the way it positions in our the way our palate of our mouth's made. Okay. All right, that's pretty cool. So there are a million different options out there as far as calls go from the rubber that goes into them, the size of the diaphragm, the frame itself, I should say to the cut of the call, to the number of reads that go into it, that I think that most hunters out there really have not taken the time to learn all of that. And I appreciate you coming on to share that information with us and really kind of break down what it is about it. I wish I could spend about three hours with you and really pick your brain to death on what all is in these calls that varies the sound so much and you know from one call to another and that kind of thing but i can't do that because it's almost turkey season and i've got to get you back to work (laughs) but here's one piece of advice that uh, people frequently ask me is why do you have so many calls with you you know my turkey vest i've got four or five different styles of mouth calls it might be a ghost cut might be a batwing three might be a batwing two might be one of our shipwrecks uh, whatever it is, I've got a variety of calls there. I've got anything from our slate calls to our glass calls to ceramic pot, whatever it is. You know, I've got a box call, tube call. I've got a whole plethora of turkey calls in my vest. And people ask me, well, why do I need to buy three or four mouth calls? Why do I need all these different cuts? Why do I need to buy two or three slate calls, or slate and a glass call? Or why do I need a box call if I've got a glass call? Here's what this boils down to, in my opinion, strictly my opinion. You were talking a minute ago about how that you fire up a turkey and you might have him respond to one particular call. He gobbles and he don't respond to another call, but that one call, you're going to use that one call till you call that bird in and kill him. Mm -hmm. What I boil that down to is I think that you take a call that you are used to hearing or that turkey thinks that it is a hen in his area. It's just like if my wife yells for me from the other side of of Walmart or whatever, wherever we're at, I'm going to know my wife's voice amongst anybody else that's in that building. And I think the same thing happens with the turkey. I think he is accustomed to hearing certain hens talk, yelp, cut, cluck and purr, whatever the case may be. And that one call that strikes that bird and makes him gobble, you hit a tone or a pitch that he's used to hearing, and you sound like one of the hens in his area. I agree. That's the name of the game. We've got to imitate the hens Mm -hmm. to have some success calling in the gobblers. So there's no doubt about that. You know, I talked a little bit about how we do abuse diaphragm calls that we use. Heck, 
we abuse every kind of call we we use <laughs> in carrying our vest, whether it's a box call from getting crawled on, a glass pot and peg call from you know it being dropped or being crawled on as well. But the diaphragm calls we don't really think about. They're the majority of them are not that expensive to replace, and most of us replace them every year because we don't take care of them. And that call by the time a month or two after season rolls around or has gone by, the reeds are stuck together and are basically to that point where they can't be separated without tearing them anyway. But how can we take better care of these diaphragm calls to get more than one season out of them? Because we can, can't we? Well, we can to a point. If you use a mouth call a lot, you're probably not going to get more than a season out of them typically. You know, the material starts to break down. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, a lot of people tell you to put your, your mouth calls in a refrigerator. And when you get done with them, put them in a refrigerator, leave them in there, store them, take them out the next day. I personally never do that. Dealing with the latex and the material, when this stuff comes to us, it has a little bit of a powder on it. Well, the reason that powder is on there is to keep the material from sticking together, but it's also typically designed to be dry. So what I found, if I put the calls in the refrigerator, I have found for me it breaks those that material down faster because okay. it constantly keeps it wet. It never lets it's that material dry yeah. out. So for me personally, that's one of the things I don't do. When I get home in the afternoon or where I'm, I get back to the hunting lodge, wherever I'm hunting at, I take my little plastic cases, I take my calls, and I open up those plastic cases, and I lay those calls out, and they'll lay there overnight. And I've got some children here, so I keep them out of the reach of my kids, keep them up high so they can't get a hold of them. But um, as you've heard, my little boy, he's here with me today. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I keep them out of his reach, and, and I leave them there overnight, and they'll dry out, and they'll be ready to go the next morning. I take a little bit of time, and... I pull on the reeds just a little bit, that top reed, and try to break it apart and pull it loose because it will be stuck from the, the next reed below it. And I'll take and actually put a little spit on it and work my tongue into it and get that reed unstuck, and it's good to go again. Okay. So you're not separating the reeds at the end of every day and doing all that then? I don't. I personally do not, and I've got calls that do last me all season. Yeah. There's, there's, you can put toothpicks in between the reeds. Just be really careful if you do that. I can remember the first time I ever made the cut, the finals at the Grand Nationals. I came off the stage. I was really excited, had the best yelper I ever had as far as a mouth call, and I went to stick a toothpick into it and actually stuck the toothpick through the reed. Oh. So I didn't have my best yelper I ever had well, at that point that I ever had. For the finals the next day it ruined that call so i'm yeah. very careful you can cut some paper clips off and use the rounded end of the paper clip and stick them through there it works better than a toothpick okay that's a good idea something i hadn't thought about well you lost not only your best sounding collar you lost the confidence that went with that collar oh absolutely yeah and that's, <laughs> when you're on that stage when your mindset has to be if somebody's going to beat me they're going to earn it yeah. And you're going to call the best that you can. And knowing when you're on that stage, knowing that your best yelper is is out of service, that you're not going to get to use that, it definitely plays with your mind. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, Mitchell, man, that's all the questions that I have for you, but I really do appreciate you coming on. Before I cut you loose, though, tell us how we can get in touch with you if there's a question that somebody has 
to ask you that I didn't think to ask you how they can get in touch with you to do that. Or if somebody listening to the show wants to buy a call from you, how can they get a get in touch with you to buy a call best way you can get in touch with us go to our website www.deadendgamecalls.com and that is plural um, or you can shoot us a message on facebook check out our facebook page our instagram page for dead end game calls we're always on there answering questions and we've got a youtube channel on our youtube channel we've got all kinds of instructional tips and tactics from friction calls to mouth calls on there so you can check out our Dead and Game Calls YouTube channel. If you've got any other questions, they may be able to answer. You may get your questions answered right there. Or you can give us a call at 336-973-0878. Good deal. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Yes, I greatly appreciate that. We appreciate the opportunity. Heck, yeah. We'll do it again sometime soon. And I wish you luck this season. And hope you'll email me some pictures of a turkey or two that y'all put down. I would have a feeling there'll be a few walk down the dead end road this spring. <laughs> I love it. Good deal. <laughs> Mitchell, have a great day, buddy. Thank you. You too. God bless. God bless you too. Bye. Okay. I hope you guys enjoyed that and learned as much as I did about diaphragm calls. Mitchell and his guys at Dead End Game Calls make great calls. And I appreciate him taking the time to come on to today's show to teach us more about those diaphragm calls. And if you guys are interested in stocking up on some really good diaphragm calls, give Mitchell a call or go to their website and check out what they have on their calls. And I'm sure that you'll have those calls in time to use them this turkey season. All right, so that's all that I have for you guys today. Just like every week, though, I have a few favors I'd like you to help me with. First, please like, forward, and share this episode on social media if you learned anything today. Second, please subscribe to the show. Subscribing does not cost a dime, and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is uploaded. Number three, please tell a hunting buddy about the show and teach him or her about podcasts, how to find podcasts, subscribe to them, and listen to them on a mobile device. Your hunting buddy will thank you for it. Once their eyes are open to the world of podcasts and all the great information that's out there, they will thank you for teaching them about it. Number four, be sure to tune in next week. I have an awesome interview with Preston Pittman with Pittman Game Calls and Longleaf Camo. And Preston's going to share his knowledge of how weather affects wild turkeys. Now, that's some info that I know is going to help you guys be able to kill birds this spring. It's an awesome episode that you'll really want to listen to. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.